out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Why, hello there, Tim. Hello. And hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 102 of Dismembering Hall. The podcast shoe where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and... Myself, Tim Aslan. We dismember a hall film. Every week, in fact. We discuss what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we happen to find interesting or noteworthy. Timothy, anything else to add? What a wonderful British accent you have. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> that was just a non-accent. Um, great. Well, hey, that was just in the spirit of today's film. But hey, I mean, anything else we like to say about this show, if you're joining us for the first time, in addition to what... <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine if this is your first time? Someone was like, finally, a, trip. A, a horror podcast episode on my favorite movie, Gothic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, really, I feel like it is kind of, it's it's a buried something, like, you know... Mm. It's it's no doubt something I'm I'm very excited to to talk about. I don't know. That's the gist. You'll pick up. We have different sections. I just said what they were. We come at it from a certain angle. We come at this show from a, a, a filmmaker angle, a angle of we're just friends talking about it. So we're in a, a free space to 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 slip into what could be harsh criticism, but is just us having fun together talking about a movie. That's that's the angle we're going with. Um, yeah. You yeah. know what I think about sometimes? Hmm. You know when you when you just get kind of going on a a thing like a rant or whatever and you're you're just plowing ahead. I often am like, you know, I'll get worked up over something and sometimes I realize that other people think that it's like it means a lot to me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that it's like serious because I'm ranting. But like, especially in this realm, like uh, the realm of this podcast, it's it's all kind of not in jest, but like it's all lighthearted. Well, it's it's the weird thing of like, because nothing's important, everything's important and vice, <laughs> exactly. and yeah. vice versa. Like, like I'm passionate. I think I get really passionate about the the possibility of greatness yeah and so when you see something that like either is shying away from like trying to achieve or like you know move in that direction or is like actively undercutting the ability for it to to potentially happen (laughs) right I'm like, no, why'd you do that? Come on, what the fuck? Yeah, I do feel like that's at the base of what we're doing, what we're doing here. This is like an, yeah. an effort to also make movies better somehow, us included. Because yeah. um, I was thinking about like our retrospective episode and and how we, you know, we say things like that movie sucked or whatever. And I think about like the filmmakers themselves, right? Like. I also think we don't we don't uh, n- uh, what do you call it we don't outwardly give enough credit and like say the names of directors enough. I think that's because it's easy it's easier to get into criticism because what we're doing here 
is like we do want to separate the filmmakers from the movies in a way because yeah, yeah. we are talking about this movie, and it's why it's hard to like it was so hard for me to criticize like when we had just seen the latest insidious film because i'm like these people like are now you know <laughs> i feel bad <laughs> yeah, doing yeah. it less less so now you know like with you know this movie it's like whatever movie as time goes on it beca- it's just the movie and that always rings true I think truer. that's a really well and, and, I think that's a really important and good distinction cuz and that always rings truer to me too cuz like I identify with and this is like how all creatives artists talk about it is like any song poem movie whatever you write it's something outside of yourself anyways mm-hmm. but i mean yeah, that's i know ne- i really at the end of the day i never want to I never want to like hone in on the person themselves and be like, you're a bad person because you made a thing that I didn't like. Because right. that's dumb. That's not how I feel either. But like, I do want to be able to be like, oh, that movie was trash. And <laughs> right. not, it's not personal. Well, I'm sure somebody could watch anything I've made and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. That sucked. <laughs> and I mean, also, it's just like can come down to to another way to put it. If we're passionate, it's just because we love movies. And I'm sure that's why you're here, too. We do that's care. Right. They are important on some level. Well, and the, and part of why I say that is because I think this week's film is is like this weird. Yep. Check. Combo uh-huh. <laughs> of of that feeling of like, what the fuck? And. I kind of love it, but I kind of hate it. Yes, yes, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> We're already on the same page with this like, film. What's going on? Is it good? Like, did I like it? I kept talking I, about, I, yeah, again, we're talking about uh, 19 from 1986, Ken Russell's Gothic. Um, and Tim, I remember I'd recommended uh, his film, The Devils, which mm-hmm. really is like, I would wish so much that we'd watched that movie together too, just because it was like, just an experience like this, like yeah. his filmmaking sensibility. We'll get into it anyway. Yeah, um, I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, cool. Well, let's actually get into it and watch the trailer. Okay. All right. Here we go. Again from 1986, Gothic. Before Mary Shelley could write her masterwork of terror, Frankenstein, she had to experience it. <laughs> Mind to raise the dead. Yes, the skull of the black monk. His appearance was said to herald disaster. Gaze into the eyes. Conjure up your deepest, darkest fear. Call that fear to fall, to life. So how would we rate Gothic per our rating system? Would we tell ourselves to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? I, right now, am going to say rent it because it's so unique and unlike anything else. If you haven't seen Ken Russell films, I think 
I, it's so weird. Tim, kind of like you said, don't know whether to hate or love it. I feel like I have to see it again to know that. I want to think I'll like it more because kind of like how I don't hear lyrics when I'm hearing a song I'm into mm-hmm. for the first time. I like like missed most of the dialogue just because the experience was so overwhelming. You hear the term fever dream thrown around a lot. I think it's very fitting for this yeah. film. And that's something I am drawn to in a lot of ways. Just the kind of non-logic logic a lot of it has. This movie's so <laughs> abstract, it can make it hard to sink into. But at the same time, I like that about it, that it is abstract. Um, it's like, yeah, unfamiliar. You know, at first it can be hard to sink into that. Like I told you the way, like how first time I saw eight and a half i was just so kind of just just felt gross right, and weird right. afterwards only time <laughs> i haven't revisited it it's very similar to this but i mean because of that because of how unique all that is it, i would say like yeah i'd tell myself to rent this and make see if what you can make of it which we're about to try to do yeah ah man i i think that i oh like I want to say rent it for basically all of the same reasons. Um but like I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I might. You know I want to I mean? watch like it eventually? again. Yeah, if you could I really miss not being able to watch this with you in the room at the same time. This one most out of all these quarantine <laughs> films we've been watching, but like It'd be fun to show this to someone who is interested and watch it under those circumstances. So that counts right. for me. Yeah, I think I'm going to say it's a rent too. It's it's wacky. <laughs> yep. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's wacky. It's crazy. Like, if you kind of just look at it from a performance point of view and from an aesthetic point of view... Actually, you can't just boil it down to that. But because because I, I then I realized there's like four other elements that I'm like are really good. So it's not singular in that sense. So yeah. I think maybe I guess that's what I'm realizing but, is that because there's these there's a m- multiple individual aspects that are really cool and working that that in spite of them maybe not like as a whole like working together at all times at the same time it seems to be like succeeding in what it's trying to do yeah. sorry to cut yeah you off. i i i know it, i agree it's it is odd something's weird i mean the whole movie is weird maybe <laughs> that's just what it is yeah but but because of all of that i think it is it does you know rise to a rent for me and, you know, make yourself not feel so bad. I know you love anything that you can tell was made in the mid 80s. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, which this yeah, would... there's definitely things that I'm like, kind of what I was saying earlier, where I'm like, you know, this is cool. But what would have made it really fucking cool? Is right. This or that. You know, like a couple just little things with that. I mean, are a result partially of just the era and also of the filmmaker. That's a sensibility thing. Yeah. But like if I were doing this movie, there's a couple of things where I'm like, I would just change this one element and I think I, it 
the result of that would make me be like, this movie fucking rules. So whatever. For me, that was the equivalent of that was more just like expectations I may have had during it that weren't that like weren't met. And so I was like let down or whatever, or like a little bored during a section, but that's, that's a weird word for, I don't know, dragged in a section, but like, uh, you know, once I see it, that's another reason why if I see it again, I won't have those same expectations. So yeah, I feel that cool. And out of any other all 101 movies we've watched him, this really fits the bill of a film that I am just so excited to hear how you would summarize it for our summary. (laughs) Okay. Oh God. Okay. So it's the, uh, Oh Jesus. What fucking era are we in? The early 1800s? 1826 or something like that. Yeah. And maybe give the context what this is about too, like, or what it's inspired Mm -hmm. it. Okay. So, right. So we're in the early 1800s and we're in, where the fuck are we? During the summer of 1816 in Switzerland. Okay. Oh, right, right, right. They talk about Switzerland. That's right. Okay. So here we go. So we're in Switzerland. We're in a big fucking manor and... Uh, it's Lord Byron's manor. Do you know who Lord Byron is, Ryan? No, uh, only from what I learned from this this film. So he's a, he was a poet and a writer uh, back in the day and was like sort of famous for being a bit of a douche and a womanizer and a drunk and all of the above, right? He was he was sort of like the modern, what would the modern day equivalent be? Some who Who's like that now? Like somebody who were like, what a fucking amazing artist, but also what a fucking mess. <laughs> you know, he's that guy. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf. I don't know. Um, that's not a good example. <laughs> oh, I like Shia. Yeah. I do too. I love Shia. Anyway, so, so it's his place and his friends who are also writers have come to visit. They are also famous. It's, um, uh, Percy Shelley, who at the time was a very successful poet writer and his sort of wife, but not really, don't worry about it, Mary, who we know in popular culture as Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. And sort of famed for kind of overshadowing her male companion uh, when she wrote Frankenstein, and people were like, whoa, wait a minute, what the fuck? Like, she can write too, and she's better than her husband? Holy well, wh- shit. Where we are so, in this film, she had not written it yet. That's right. So so there's a lot of really cool... Mary Godwin is is what she's called in the movie. I, I assume that was her maiden name. I don't know. Anyway, so they also bring along a friend of theirs, Claire. Um, I guess se- uh, stepsister uh, to Mary. Anyway, so yeah. So this is prior in historical terms to the writing of a lot of these famed sort of things that that came out of these three writers. Anyway, but not as it just before it. This is about the night that inspired. That's right, Frankenstein. So what, what ends up happening is that they kind of have a you know they they have a bit of a romp, right? Like yeah. they they drink some laudanum and they. They get wacky and kind of trip balls and, you know, they they predicate the night on like, let's talk about, you know, what our own individual horrors would be. Like if we were going to make up a horror story, what would that be? And then that kind of just spirals because they're, you know, they're tripping into 
a fever, like you said, a fever dream of different hallucinations and like crazy interactions between the three. Well, four of them because there's also a, a, another character. The, the doc- oh, five of them. Uh, doctor would be five. Oh, wait. Five? One, two, three. Oh, yeah, you're right. Five, yeah. So the doctor. Um, Dr. John. Lord Byron's doctor. Byron had some. I forget what his afflictions were in, in reality, but he had some some shit going on. Anyway, they all just get fucking wacky. <laughs> and they run around this manor at night for the night and like flip the fuck out with each other. And it's sexy and it's scary and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, kind of antics ensue. There's lots of like <laughs> cool, weird imagery and like you know, near death kind of moments. And is it all just a dream or is it really happening? Right. Like that kind of thing. And it's cool. It vacillates. It vacillates between like super high feeling stakes and high emotions and then just taking everything like in stride. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's weird. Yeah. And having said that and not being somebody who knows the literature that came out of these people particularly well, I have a suspicion that a part of how this film was constructed was to specifically take passages and like references from their writings and imbue it into the story of this and into the dialogue specifically. In other words, it's like, I don't know this to be true, but I assume that there are things that Mary, well, that any of them say that are sort of known as famous lines from Frankenstein or from, you know, some of the stuff Byron was famous for, which I don't know his stuff at all, but like, right. you know, whatever. I'm sure if I looked it up, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Well, and, and just to get through your, your summary, how does this all kind of culminate and end? Like, what, what happens? <laughs> it's... I mean, it, what happens? It, they wake up in the morning and it was all kind of a dream. It's like <laughs> one of those. Yeah. Everybody's just chill. But I mean, there, there's other there's other kind of like <laughs> through lines and elements going on. There's something about like a miscarriage happening. There's, That's true. Yeah. You know, there's all of their sort of personal inner demons are coming to the surface throughout this fever dream. Um, Byron, I think it seems like he had a son who had died and. Um, and Shelley had a um, you mean Percy. It, 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 it was a was it an abortion or was it just a miscarriage? Um, Do you I remember? Don't, I don't know. I mean, there was the one that kind of like was imagined during it. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot of baby like baby stuff. Like, yeah. and what I mean by that is like dead dead baby stuff, and it 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 kind of culminates with that. Where that seems to be the underlying thing. And it makes sense, right? Because we're talking about Frankenstein ultimately, which is a story about trying to to reanimate or to avoid death, to recreate a life. Yeah. And so to have this through line underneath of like Mary having guilt over a, you know, her baby not surviving and that desire to to control life and and potentially recreate life out of death is really the foundation of Frankenstein. And then how that haunts the world is like, that is Frankenstein, right? It's, it's the, the constructed being 
that Frankenstein creates is now sort of haunting the world and seeking revenge on his creator. And so, you know, if it's a really cool concept, right? Because if you if you think about if you were going to give a consciousness to the dead baby, yeah. How would they feel about the fact that you were the cause of both their creation and their demise right. if they were reanimated to have a consciousness. That's a pretty fucked up and trippy and deep thing to think about, and I think it's part of why Frankenstein's the story is so fucking intense. Yeah. Um, and I tried reading it, by the way, and it, the language is really tough. I read it uh, in high school. We There's a class yeah. we took it. Um, if, so there uh, you go. If you did, a summary. <laughs> if you did not watch the film with us, yeah, I encourage you. <laughs> you don't know what we're talking about. I encourage you to read the Wikipedia summary. It gives a thorough, uh, well, yeah. it, it paints a picture. <laughs> oh, and here, here you go. Like, here's a good example of something that Lord Byron was famous for having written that kind of speaks to his character in the film. Um, he wrote the narrative poem Don Juan. Mm. So... You know, we kind of all know the the gist of Don Juan Womanizer, kind of blah blah blah. Cool. There you go. All right. Well, let's let's good good work, and then uh, <laughs> let's get into. Well, I'm going to repeat the same word. Our next section: what worked. What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? I mean, like we've said, how nuts it all is worked for me, Tim. Like, I mean, not knowing what's going to happen next is always just like the top of my list for my enjoyment of a film, you know, and that's not a given with a lot of movies. <laughs> um, just the, you know, yeah, the the nuttiness and the like off the sort of rails nature of this type of story is, I don't know, it's just really fun. So... Rather than, you know, give me a play by play of the whole movie, there's it's so much. It's a, more on like a moment by moment level we're talking it really about is. here. So yeah. for our, our last section, our things of note section, we like to start doing talk about any indelible moments, which mm. this movie just is it's full of them. It's just through and through indelible moments, right? So so I just so I was I was gonna think yeah, I had this under things of note, but I think to paint a picture of just this film and what we're talking about, I have down just an example sequence in the film to help paint a oh, picture. Cool. But yeah. this is under the context of how nutty it is. Is what something that worked for me. So the the I'm gonna go over here, Tim, best I can. How I have it down, the hide and seek sequence. <laughs> yes, <laughs> toward the beginning. So. They're all there having dinner. I guess it's. You Let's know. just clarify. It's more ready or not than hide and seek if we're referring to movies we've already watched. Well, yeah, they say hide and seek, but. <laughs> well, I just mean in terms of the vibe, right? Remember, ready or not was very much like in a manner and like had the gothic sort of vibe to it. And then we watched a movie called Hide and Seek, which was like not really about hiding and seeking oh, at all. Right. <laughs> so it's like this. This is more of that, like, we're in a manor, 
We're look, you know, we're playing the game hide and seek. Well, it's I'm gonna tell, fun. I'm gonna tell you what happens, Tim. They're they're having dinner, and then Claire tries to look at Lord Byron's feet because she wants to see if they are demon goat hooves. Right. Uh, he gets mad and almost pushes her into the fire, but then they kiss each other. So then she says, well, if we want to do more of that or all of us, first we got to play hide and seek and you have to find us. She like screams that like runs out of the room, like, you know, super excited. She's, she's very, uh, very manic. Um, and then me, so they're playing hide and seek. This is all continuous. Mary finds, uh, she comes across a knight in shining armor that has a huge snake on it. So she starts petting it. Then the other people who work in the house, they're like prepping food, like milking goats and like chopping vegetables. Claire runs by them screaming where she ends up in the basement area where as soon as she gets startled by a rat, Lord Byron pops out of nowhere, kisses her again. Then that's happening as Percy comes across a like multicolored disco lit like bed stage <laughs> where it's either like a where it's like a costumed animatronic or person like belly dancer with like a plastic mask belled and a belled hoop covering her groin and she's like dancing and making the the, the hoop jingle. And then we have the Dr. John, he cuts himself straightening a crucifix just all of a sudden, and then we jump to what we presume is later, all of a sudden, where Percy is naked on the roof in the rain trying to get struck by lightning. <laughs> there, yes. I, I, I just felt like we had, a, I don't know, you know, an example really helps paint the picture of the kind of nutty we're talking about here. And there is no cohesiveness to that sequence. It's just <laughs> one thing after another, right? There's yeah. no like... Oh, that therefore this is happening doesn't exist in this movie. That's and that's it's just and then and also and then and also and it's like whoa, what the fuck? I'm just on the ride. That's that, and that's what offers that that fever dream feel, yeah. and that's what I well, that was my biggest takeaway from the Devils. But like I had that as something that worked because it's just fascinating how it feels like when you're watching it, you're watching something that's both real time and over a long period or mm -hmm. indistinguished amount of time. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, and what, what part of what works and what helps support that. And because it really like, it pretty much is unrelenting. The, the whole movie just kind of is going on like that. <laughs> yep. You've got a little bit of like waxing and waning just slightly, but not much. And but what what sort of keeps it going is the performances. Everybody is freaking out constantly. Yeah. And so like they're all so like heightened in their experience that we're just like, of course it's nutty because they're fucking flipping out constantly. Yeah. You know, Percy, Percy just continues to have meltdowns and he's like, he's like, you know, kind of a combination of somebody who's done way too much coke, but also maybe done like some sort of hallucinogen. And so there, he's just flying a million miles an hour all the time. Yeah. You know, and so that really helps us to kind of be like, well, yeah, of course everything's fucking nutty because that's the state they're in. I specifically loved what was driving him nutty in a few moments where he thinks he sees this crazy monster like with a, I can't even know how to, it's kind of like a slime monster with an eye. And then he sees like a weird, I think it's he sees like 
or was it Claire's? He's like a, a weird kind of werewolf, just like a glimpse of like a wolf face monster, no, per- I think. Percy sees that in the basement too. Okay. And then yeah. he also discovers like monster slime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, I love that. The primordial slime. Yeah. Um, I loved that. And this is also kind of, it, I loved how this was what really sets us off on the... Um, the 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 fever dream of it all is they ha- hold a seance which was really oh, right yeah that was really fun how it was shot how it was put together that it, they were kind of like focusing on a skull and that was kind of the inciting incident of like we are thinking on our evils we are conjuring their evils that's right and yeah. then that at the same time sort of is what works as like a gradual a, a sort of gradual um realization for them of how how can we now put what we unleashed back in the box? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of vague what they're talking about. They know there's just a a something that they unleashed. And that's cool. You know what this movie really just is? It's just workshop. You know, they're just workshopping their their writing. Hey, it's it's yeah, this is not a bad way. I mean, hey, to to lead to Frankenstein. <laughs> they're on like a they're on a little retreat. Yeah. <laughs> a writing retreat. And they're all just, you know, spitballing. You know, what's funny is we're watching this film because it was uh, submitted by my friend who we were on a writer's retreat when we saw the trailer for this movie on a VHS. Wow. It's all connected, Ryan. Yep. I think that actually that aspect of this story is kind of what is the most kind of pleasing from a thematic standpoint. Let me see if I can I can articulate what I mean. So the idea of what do we do with our time at any given era in time? And what is entertainment? Like the ending of the movie sort of stamps this for me is like when Mary wakes up the next morning after all of this craziness has happened and she goes outside and Byron and Claire are having a picnic and the doctor and Percy are kind of just chilling in the in the yard. Kind of like a, a morning coffee and mimosas kind of vibe. Yeah, totally. And it's super chill and laid back. And she kind of walks up and she's a little unsettled or whatever. And Byron just sort of he like reaches out and he's like you know, just having a little fun last night. Like the the nights, you know, you'll get used to the nights here, but the day there's no evil to be seen. There's no ghosts to be seen during the day. Right. And and so this idea of like for us in modern day, right? Like right now we we go out or we go to a bar or we go to a club or we go to a movie. We we go have these experiences that sort of are you know, there are version of that, but like, that's what they would have done back then, right? Yeah, They would have created the stories themselves and played them out or like been affected by them in the way that we go to a movie and we're affected by that experience. But there's something really exciting to me about this notion of like getting wrapped up in that and like to the point of the, you know, they they have um, kind of notions of oh, what would you fucking call this? 
the, the mysticism that they kind of buy into as a culture of that era mm-hmm. of like, we could have a seance and we are actually conjuring up demons and they're buying into that. Whereas like now we would, we'd be like, yeah, that's dumb. That's not react like ghosts don't exist kind of thing. Right. There's a, there's a cynicism we have as a culture today because we have learned a bunch of stuff about the world and have made it a, a decision that some things do and some things don't exist. But back or, then, Tim, have we forgotten things exactly, about the world? Exactly. And to so even if you just don't worry about what is actually real, it's real to them. And that is their entertainment. And that idea of like spinning into this other realm of like fever dream, we got fucked up and we're having this experience and we kind of are really buying into that is so weirdly exciting to me. Well, it's because it's fun. Right. Because it's 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 a naturally sort of manufactured version of fun that needs nothing but your mind and a couple friends. And I'd say that you can, if you manufacture something, it will then not be manufactured as in fake. It's that's right because it. it feeds off of itself. Right, just like and how you feed off of each other. Tim, I'm reading. Uh, you lent me the never-ending story right now, and it's that so that idea in a heartbeat of like this storyland is dying when people don't think about it, and it is real when people are telling stories about it. Yeah, I I just. I just get it just makes me really excited because I think it's because we live in a world where if we want to feel excited or titillated, what we turn to is these external things, our phone, other content that people have created, you know, movies, TV, whatever. It's it sort of it's outside of us and we're trying to go engage with this external thing and This is an example of kind of the opposite of like how powerful your own storytelling within yourself can be and your imagination. And you can have a really intense, exciting experience that is in a way it's 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 the safest version of entertainment because it's it's yours. You're (laughs) you're you're doing it and you get to choose to a certain degree like. How intense or not intense it is. Right. How much opium you take. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I don't know. So just as a broad thing, that is really exciting and and makes me kind of love the film. Yeah. And it makes me want to go. You know, it's like the same idea of like, what do you want to do and you like for fun? Like, we're always like, oh, what do we like? What should we do tonight? Let's go fucking sit in the woods and get freaked out. Like, that sounds amazing to me. Yeah. And yet we don't really do that much. I mean, speak for yourself, but. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, I know you've been you've been you've been clear to say as a society, as in general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't do it as much as I would like by any stretch. Right. So anyway. Well, we should change that, Tim. Fuck yeah. Uh, yeah, agreed, agreed. And yeah, I just hear you talk what's what stands out is so exciting for you. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I said earlier how, you know, that the fact that it was so abstract is something I liked. And even though it made it maybe hard to sink into at a first time, but like that's it's something I really actually do enjoy and respect about 
this kind of filmmaking as it's it's rather than like you hear about this night and rather than take an approach that's just sort of like here is a straight telling of it even with a you know uh so then kind of you know typical plotting mm-hmm. um that this doesn't really have um it it makes it 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 makes it more into just it's like a piece of art i mean that's it's it's weird to say because i think anything is you know whether it does that or not as a piece of art but you know what i mean in the the abstract sense it is yeah. like like how it and how that works like where we can say let's take lord byron as a as an icon or as a personality and tap into that and make that like what we make that how you tell the story or make that sort of the veins of the film versus worrying about, Oh, well we have to stick to some kind of like course of events that feels grounded. Like, you know, a film where, where what it's about and who it's about is reflected in the film itself and sort of the logic and, and how it plays out. I just think that's so neat. That's right. Yeah. There's something really fun about, it's really just kind of an exercise in terms of writing a story like this. Yeah. You're like, oh, I know a lot of uh, about that era of literature and I know these uh, these things that were said about these people in the past. What if they all were just hanging out? What would that look like? And then you just make shit up based <laughs> on what you know about them. You know, you you definitely you know, you pull together, you imbue it with the things that you know about each of these people, historically speaking, but then you embellish. Right. And it, I, I think that's fucking wildly fun as right, an exercise. Right. To to limit yourself not to, okay, could this have happened necessarily, but limit it to does this somehow feel true to like getting at a greater spirit or idea? Yeah. Or feeling, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've never really done this as an exercise, but it sounds really fun to be like, almost arbitrarily just be like, hey, let's pick, okay, so what if, uh, let's see, what if Marlon Brando and Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and Catherine Hepburn just got together one night for a good fucking romp and drink? Mm-hmm. Like, what would happen? How would that pan out? Right. You know, like, would Brando beat the shit out of Elvis? You know, would Elvis beat the shit out of Marilyn Monroe? Like, what would happen? How would that go? And that just when you start to go into the what ifs and and how would this play out, it's endless, right? You, you, you're obviously going to sort of go, well, let's stick to what we kind of know about these people. But then... Just the experiment of of like, you know, let's say Catherine Hepburn and Marilyn Monroe decided that they needed to make out because we know certain things about those people. And if they were in this particular circumstance is how likely or unlikely is cer- are certain scenarios to have happened and then create a story around that. It just is a f- it just seems fun to me. And I feel like this movie really took advantage of that construct and made it into something fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't help but kind of, like, at least I couldn't help but kind of go away being like, that was fucking nutso <laughs> and, like, completely off the rails. But, like, I get it and it felt good. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know shit about these 
historical people, really. You're right. I know the vaguest of vague things about them that I like some English teacher said once. But they certainly made an impression. And right. how kind of fun, like, let's say if you were one of these people, like, this is how I would want to be remembered, where it's <laughs> like, don't, don't tell, like, my literal story, like, turn my essence into just an yeah. outrageous character. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If it were, it's funny because if you you and I were historical figures, right? We would also be played by Gabriel Byrne and, and Julian Sands. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we'd be like, hell yeah, those guys are much better looking than both of us. <laughs> hey. Hey, look, you know, you gotta, you gotta rise up when, when you're getting cast, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Just put, put us in those outfits, Tim, you'll see. Hey, oh man, I love a ruffled shirt. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you're, you're recording in your closet, right? So you can put one on. I know. Oh, I wish I had one nearby. Um, no. I so, could just put on my, my, my bathrobe. Jokes on you, audience. We're already wearing 18th century garb. No. <laughs> uh, 1800s garb. Um, I love, I love a foppish, you know, foppish decor or, or costume right i mean hey mm. that that's just another thing like to get into this movie this the the aesthetics like uh the the, yeah. the, the set dressing specifically so this good. place and then how it was shot so many cool shots of like you're looking up at a spiral staircase straight up mm-hmm. or like someone's just just i don't know you know framed with the background a certain way lots of neat stuff like that you know what they what they can russell and the you know everybody involved a choice that they made that really, I think, helps with the feeling of um, feeling sort of floaty and weird and like, duh, what's the word? You're, it, it just feels dreamy and, and all that is that I, I would venture to guess that at minimum 95% of this film is shot with like a 14 millimeter lens. It is... Really? Was it that wide? It's super wide. It's wild. Now, maybe that's too, maybe I'm exaggerating. 18 or 24. Maybe, maybe 24, but I doubt it. For some of the shots, sure. But like, there are so much of like, very wide, in your face, like, everything is just, even the exteriors is a wide or wide lens. Yeah. And because it gives this weird kind of rounding, you know, feel when you move that camera with that lens everything kind of on the edges is like warping mm-hmm. just a little bit and it, and you feel it and that is you know it's pretty accurate to like when you're really messed up yeah it's a you way kind to see sug- the world warps right and it's a way to say su- yeah yeah it's a, it's a way to suggest that and just being stuck in this night where you don't know what time it is anymore you're just kind of mm-hmm. there yeah. And anytime you're like pushing in on something with one of those lenses, it's just like, whoa. And we push Everything on. Everything feels <laughs> exciting and. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of crazy, crazy things we push in on. I, I really liked, I remember just it culminating into the big, the big frenzied ending where I love, um, where I think it's Mary is trapped in this like room of doors and we're over oh, it yeah. and like she's trying the different doors and like what are some of the things she like runs into oh, in there god god i don't even remember she sees like her kid she sees the i mean she sees the dead baby 
Well, right? it's weird. She sees the dead baby next to a skeleton of the dead baby, which mm. is pretty intense. Uh, <laughs> shit, I don't remember the other ones. There's like six doors or something like that. I don't know if she opens every one, but it's yeah, it's it's pretty uh, climactic. You know what I mean? It's sort of like everything comes to a head at that point. Right. She tries to commit suicide, but it's up. She's she's like gun ho. She goes and stands on the balcony and is just like, all right, I'm about to do it. Super stoked to do it. But um, yeah, gets stopped oh, by she Percy. Sees, one of the things she sees is herself miscarrying the baby. Right, right. And that like that's filmed in a really cool way because it in that sort of dreamlike editing the the editing style of that is to essentially cut and recut the same moment from kind of different angles. Yeah. And so it's it's repeating over and over again and she can't get out of that kind of repetition it's 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 the worst kind of nightmare right it's like the nightmare mm. where it, you can't move on yeah it's just a fucking repeating thing um it's pretty cool <laughs> that and sequence you also had uh dr john going through god he was going through his own thing he like he cut himself or he's he he was saying he got bit by a vampire but like stabbed <laughs> his right. hand with a nail or something yeah he He's having a time. He's having a real time. I think the the big sort of one of the underlying things with his character seems to be because Byron and him have this sort of shout out about um, the doctor being gay and that and I I felt really like I just felt that feeling of like what a what a fucking hard thing to experience at in an era that's sort of. Not not that we live in a world that's totally fine with people being gay yet, but we've gotten better. Yeah. But like to have to be so secretive about who you are, I it just immediately really I was be, like, I feel for this dude. And yeah, it feels I mean, like I, I he's mean, essentially to, like self-harming because he right. can't express himself the way he wants to. So he ends up taking the cross – I think that's why the crucifix is sort of, you know, a part of his storyline. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's sort of a, a stand-in for morality and society and how they view things. And he feels like he doesn't fit into that. Yeah. And so what he ends up doing is taking the cross off the wall and slamming his palm into the nail that the mm. cross was on, which which is doing two things symbolically, right? One, it's the self-harm and shame sort of spiral that he's going through because he's also imagining Byron uh, having sex with Claire. Mm-hmm. But it's also a um, stigmata symbolism, right? So he's... He's doing sort of I'm getting punished the way Christ was punished, you know, sort of thing to himself. And that's actually I mean, that's pretty deep shit and and like really good. Yeah. And his character, you know, he f- falls apart. He's, he holds it pretty together uh, or holds it well pretty together. Yeah, until like his the, hair comes off <laughs> as, as, as like the, the fifth wheel kind of role, you know, I was feeling for him. Yeah, I felt I really felt for him because it just I don't know. I just I, I have a lot of friends who are couples and like I'm the single dude when hanging out with like two or three couples. And it's just like fucking kill me. I mean, here, here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
I um I just remembered um when uh Lord Byron sees like a the, the pig head on the ground and then oh. and then imagines it as Dr. John's head just yes. there looking up at him. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's just wacky stuff, but it is all very rooted in some very clear decisions about who these characters are fundamentally and what their plight is as individuals, each yeah. one of them. And I think that like in terms of <laughs> being able to write a nutso script like this, but also like staying true to some really clear definitions of those characters, even just as the sort of filmmakers, like it translates over and and totally supports the actions of the characters. And it, it like it works very, very, very well. Yeah. Um, Byron's it, a dick. I mean, he's he's a he's such a manipulative, just like they seem to all like know that about him and kind of love him for that, though. I know that's part of why it's compelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In spite of him being because we know that guy. Mm-hmm. We all know the fucking ego narcissist douche who fucking everybody can't help but like. Because if he's having a good time, we want in on that. Right. It's and, it's cool. And is that so bad? There's maybe uh, an angle from, you know, this is a horror movie. I, I think the threshold is when you try to put some girl's head in the fire. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that maybe you're crossing a line. Right. No. And this is through that, like, 1800s perspective of, like, right. just anything goes and, well, and you, know, you can laugh it off. What's I think also what's so appealing about Byron as a character, and I imagine that there's some historical, you know, um, truth to this. He's very much a like, I am not bound by anybody's fucking rules like society. I'm going to drink shit. I'm going to fucking make out with whoever the fuck I want to make out with. I'm going to fuck around. I don't like he he is completely untethered by, you know, social cons- like conformity constraints whatever like he's just like i'll make out with fucking percy i'll make out with john i'll make out with claire i'll make out with mary i don't give a fuck i like all that you know and i think that's you know when you live in a world that's kind of not oppressive but like strict as it were being around those types of people must be really exciting yeah uh, makes for a good weekend um, if not a it's mem- also a slip slippery sort of double-edged sword because they can be really abusive <laughs> right. so you have she's about she's literally about to kill herself mary at the end if 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 percy blonde dude doesn't come in and save her yeah that's the the levels we reach but then it's so great i love then the next morning oh hey how do you sleep how's, how's it going yeah it's not like it's not like hey Things got a little out of hand last night, and it kind of was revealing that maybe you've got some stuff that's unresolved that maybe you should go talk to somebody about. Like, there's none well, of that. You wonder, I mean, this is kind of a, a thing that, you know, talk about our society not um, doing a lot of things. We don't have a lot of room area for, a, like, just kind of pent up emotional, like release or catharsis. So I can almost see like, Hey, they got something out of their system and Hey, we're all here. We're all okay. Like, Hey, he's got a, he does or doesn't have a cut on his hand anymore. I, I forget. But like point being, they're all there and okay. Well, that's right. You can make the argument that, 
essentially everything that was, you know, in the the the, the events of the night were all uh, fabrication. That nothing harmful or actually like destructive happened right we don't see if there are slime stains or evidence of that still anywhere we don't see if there are windows broken you know yeah i i mean i think that there's a pretty strong argument that all of it was imagined well the same thing i mean that's kind of (laughs) i don't know great i don't know it was just fun how um from Lord Byron's, but he has his little, like, you know, his house elves, his invisible sort of, like, crew <laughs> yeah. of workers that just, like, oh, you know, just just put in the earplugs. It's another Friday night, you yeah. know, <laughs> Lord Byron's house. Yeah, I mean, house. he's even got his his f- woman servant who, when he pulls, pulls his rope bell thing, right. she just comes and gets naked for him. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, like, point, point me, he doesn't, he's in a position to not at all be concerned about a broken window or slime somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Somebody will fix <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, you know, take care of it. Uh, uh, so that yeah, was just such like a, a, I don't know, that next morning moment just, just was great. Um, you know, I got to be honest. It felt a lot like my college experience. I mean, when you were talking about even as in your preamble of like, you don't, we don't you know, go to a forest and, See what happens. Like, yeah, ditto, college experience. Uh, you know, I was friends with a bunch of theater nerds, you know, like technically I was a theater nerd. And, you know, theater theater dorks who want to go smoke some weed or maybe do some opium or, you know, certain, certainly drink a lot because that was, that was what I did. You know, you put a group of those people together and A, you're going to all get naked. Like that was a given and B you're gonna just start acting out and being goofy and weird. And like, you know, I spent an entire evening with a, a, um, a 12 pack, a, you know, beer 12 pack box, like the box from it on my head. And I cut out holes in the box and it was like a helmet that I wore for the night and nobody thought anything of it. That just was what was going on that night. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you just get wacky because you're experimenting and and expressing yourself in some weird way just to just to try things out and see what what comes of it. Right. Being um, embracing wackiness always makes more of a moment like or it always makes, you know, it adds more distinction to an evening, let's say. Yeah, and I think, you know, in my experience, most of the time it was very fun and very – it never, like, devolved into anything bad or destructive. Yeah, I no, mean, one was about to, no one was about to jump off a balcony. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And once in a while somebody kind of got a little too drunk or whatever and you had to kind of be like, let's ratchet it back. But for the most part, it was all about kind of like playing off the other people and seeing how much you could make them enjoy themselves by your interaction. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in particular with theater people, there's the performative nature of it. And like, you know, you're trying to one up each other or egg each other on and see where we can get. And it's a fun 
place to be in. It's so, you're right. It's so perfect. I mean, yeah. Who else but theater people like in this? In the, that, that's who they are. Like as soon as she goes hide and seek, you know, they all like jump that's up right. and are doing it. Oh yeah, duh. you're gonna put on weird costumes and shit and just be like, that's what's happening tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna wear a beer box on my head. Anything else you want to worry about it? <laughs> anything else you want to highlight for what worked or? So yeah, yeah, a couple little things. Just design wise, in the movie, there's there's a a pretty grounded sort of reality of the of the place they're in, mm-hmm. right? Big manor, big big rooms, you know, tall doors, tall tall ceilings, that kind of thing, like. All of that and the use of, of those rooms and running around them and the diversity of the of the decoration per room was really just fun because like when you have any story that's in a singular location, you want diversity, right? Like you want to feel like you're going into new and exciting places. So like having the barn, having the basement, this sort of dungeony area, the roof, like – the balcony, like every place had sort of a different vibe, like long hallways have vibes to mm. it. Like all that stuff really kept the pace and the momentum of the story going. But then on top of it, you have character design that aren't the four characters. You have these sort of entities that exist. You've got the knight. You've got the belly dancing animatronic thing. Um you have Percy's sort of mirror self, which is a really freaky fucking looking design. You only really see it once or maybe twice. You have the wolf monster sort of thing. Like there's a lot of creatures, so to speak, in this movie that are fucking cool and the design is cool. And, you know, it's obviously appropriate for these people to be seeing those things. And I just I think those creatures really kept me in in a lot of ways because it's like what's next yeah constantly and you talking about the sort of distinct uh like locations within the locations oh this Mm -hmm. is this is the this room we're here now that actually worked really well to compensate uh having no idea where we were in a non-physical sense yeah yeah so beyond that um you know it's a fun romp it's just kind of it's wackadoo (laughs) <laughs> wackadoo wackadoo <laughs> or wackadon't what's it's gonna be all right let's talk about see if anything did not work for us in our next section what did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no something important's missing what did not work <laughs> I mean, again, these are like first time viewing things where I guess I read the sort of second half, the kind of like second half of the middle, you know, act or whatever. Just felt like it maybe dragged a little bit before it picked up with the the big finish. But again, I, I think that's because I wasn't. If, you know, if I followed more of what was in the dialogue, I think it would have given me a lot more just to sort of chew on throughout and have sort of a uh, more of an idea of, um, you know, what the sort of little threads that were were going on were. Yeah, Um, I think that that if you were like I said before, if you really knew this literature, the the inside baseball, so to speak, of of this movie might be so exciting. Right. Well, I'm not even like. That, that, you know, that, like, 
you're, you're you're catching these little lines and being going. It, it would just be exciting. It's like little Easter eggs all right. over the place. I mean, but that that would certainly add to it. But I'm just talking about the dialogue that's there. <laughs> you know that I wasn't. Well, catching. that's what I mean. Is I it, it, if my theory is true that within the dialogue they're using they're referencing things from their stories. Even that would sustain – I think it would prop up the the certain sections if they started to wane, if that's what you were getting. Now, that's totally theoretical. I have no idea if No, it was that I was – script. I just was so overwhelmed with the visceralness of what was happening yeah. that I was literally not uh, – like following – it's like was watching Shakespeare or something. Sure, it, sure, it wasn't yeah. a matter of the dialogue <laughs> lacking. It was a matter of not hearing it. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I get that. Not processing it, and same same goes for like, I, I don't know. I uh, during it and at the end, I was kind of walking away, feeling like I don't know if I. It was I wasn't really ever sympathizing with the characters. They felt so just, just drawn in a certain way, but like their performances were intense. So I should. I think again, it was just so much on a first viewing going on. And missing the dialogue, so I was missing sort of if our only into the character is like these kind of through lines or the history of them that we kind of like pick up on if we're listening. Um, I don't know. Again, just kind of like, yeah, a couple of things on the first viewing that held me back, but I'd be curious to see how they changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hmm. It, it, there is a lot going on. It's a lot of characters that no no one character really is the story. And so, you know, I felt for Mary and for Dr. John the most. Yeah. For sure. Like I, I felt kind of sympathetic or they felt like sympathetic characters the most to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, nobody really feel it doesn't feel like anybody. I think it's supposed to be Mary's story. The mo- I mean, it is. It is Mary's story. The most obviously, we she's sort of the climax in her. It doesn't you know, feel that her, way when you're watching it. It's kind of all it over the place. It doesn't until the very end when it's her being trapped in the six door sort of like room and her having this personal revelation. Right up until that point, no, it doesn't feel like her story at all. What? But this- then it. Then we get that ending, and we're like, "Oh shit! It it is her story, I guess. Well, at least that point." We didn't mention it yet, so I don't know how this could fit into either what worked or didn't work. But what did you think of the little um, bookend tag at the way end? Uh, that's one of my did not works. I, I hate it. What was it for those who may not know? Basically, we're watching them have their little brunch post, you know, chaos night on the on the lawn of this manor and everything's kind of cool and then they effectively they just sort of disappear and we see like a tour boat that's got a tour guide talking about the manor and the fucking history of the manor and people are walking around the lawn like contemporary tourists are walking around the lawn visiting this as in we jump to 1986 yeah and i hate i hate that why it just I just think it undercuts in the whole vibe of the movie. It's not Schindler's List, dude. Like, you don't need to jump and see the survivors at the end. You know what I mean? Like, that this was that, hey, reminder, everybody, these were real people. Like, that that works in Schindler's List because it's about something really fucking different. This is... 
I just think it I think it just undercuts the whole night. It basically says, oh, and if you were wondering, this is all made up anyway. You know, we just Mm -hmm. this is like maybe what could have happened one night. But I mean, we know that I just don't, already. I know, though. but I don't need to be told it again. Yeah, by a tour guide. Is, did the tour guide say that? We don't. Yeah, know he what goes. Happened. You know, this fame, this fame night, uh, and they, there's a name for the night. Like it's, it, you know, I'm sure they wrote about this particular night. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you know, following that fame night, this happened, and this person survived, and this person didn't, and I guess you know, Claire had pers- uh, Claire had Byron's baby, right. and it's like, dude, I don't like it. It's not a documentary. Right. I mean, it. I guess it's, I guess, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really like or dislike it. I, I think that there is an element that's kind of neat to it as far as saying, um, you know, I was going on how I liked that it was all abstract and everything, but there's something kind of fun of the idea that if a movie is saying, okay, within the context of the movie to then go, this is exactly how it happened. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> here's the, you know. Sure. I don't know. Something tickles me about that. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think I don't like having having when you have a a, a, a wacky um like when you're when you're grounded in this sort of wacky reality, I, I actually get annoyed when that gets broken because it feels like the like the mystique of that world is now being undercut and, no, and broken and yeah that, that, that but it's like that, we that, already came out of the dream as mary and sat on the lawn now we're coming out of that dream with like it's like leaving the movie theater i don't want to leave the movie theater yet the, the the movie's not over yeah and then you're you're leaving the movie i i don't know it just feels it just feels weird and and wrong to me no i was i was feeling that more than i wasn't just the kind of yeah being taken taken aback by in a bad way taken out i mean you i guess you could like throw you know a a card up on the screen and just in text say those things and i would have probably been okay with that 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 would have been cool actually yeah just to kind of you know because it is just information of like here's what happened after this night yeah, I would have much rather it been like this is a just so you know this was a famous night that they all wrote about and here's the shit that happened afterwards like Mary wrote Frankenstein like five days later it, whatever it, it is it leaves it in, in in legend more and I think we want right. to since this presents something as grandiose as you know a legend in that sort of what the word connotates I think we as people we we like to sort of you know have legends and sort of overlook that they were you know real people too right yeah so the the only other thing and it's not that it didn't work per se but i I, like i said at the top that there's there's one element of how it's filmed or sort of the design that i think that if they had done this different thing i would have enjoyed the movie much much more um, and it's it's how it's lit. So it's lit well, don't get me wrong, but it's lit in a very sort of of the time, like the 80s way. And often that lighting feels like lighting as opposed to feeling like natural in the space. And if we were in this space in this time, it would be Barry Lyndon, right? It would be only candlelight and 
lightning from outside or whatever. That's it. And if this movie had been lit like Barry Lyndon, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. But that's just so like um, a my taste thing. I don't know. Yeah. From a practical standpoint, I don't know that you want to make this movie that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that You'd sounds ha- like a fucking nightmare. Might have to break the rule uh, to accomplish light l- lightning. Lightning. Totally. Lightning. No, and that's lighting. fun. Yeah. Yeah. But like, can you imagine how much more like seeped in that gothicness this would feel if it was all just fucking candlelight and like, you know, like Barry Lyndon does, like shit ton of candles. I mean, it feels realer. Right. Well, and it would, I think it would just feel more elemental. Yeah. Which I, you know, is in this movie. Like, I want more. Right, right. Let's so, con- conjure stuff with our candles. Yeah. There's no candelabras in this, dude. <laughs> How? You're right. Come on, guys, run run around with a candelabra. This like <laughs> this movie was made for that. Yeah. It never happened. I couldn't believe it. Missed opportunity. You're right. Fuck. <laughs> so th- that this is what you're talking about when you said just some uh some creative decisions that you yeah. would have preferred. Beyond that, I mean, honestly, um, I've I think I think the look and like that the like I said the wide lens feel like all that shit I really thought was fine. So so. There's not a whole lot else that I had an issue with. Yeah. Great. Well, then, should we see if we have any things of note? Definitely. Great. We do that in our next section called Things of Note. Things of Note! (laughs) This should be interesting. Well, we like to be starting our new tradition of starting <laughs> things of note with uh, <laughs> indelible moments, question mark. And we already said like the whole movie, I, g- I mean, I gave the example of that sequence. It was originally just under this section. Uh, but I had specifically down, we didn't mention nipple eyes. <laughs> I forgot about that. Forgot about what, oh, Tim? Oh, dude, that is that is the moment. What How is? How could the... I have forgotten? There's just so much going on. Tell us about it. What moment? Well, early on, Byron, when he, I think it's when he sees the uh, animatronic sort of gypsy belly dancer person. Afterwards, he's he has a bit of a rant about like he's just having a flip out, and he says he describes this this person that he saw and says that it had eyes for nipples then later in the movie (laughs) he he finds um claire laid out on what's she on like a pool table or something like a billiards table am i just remembering that or is that where she was anyway she's on a table and she's laid out and she like sits up and she disrobes and he goes over to her and she says, she says, she's, you know, this, this actress, uh, I think her name's, um, Marion C- Sear or something like that. Is that Mir- right? Yeah. Miriam C-Y-R. Yeah. She has giant eyeballs. Like she's just, that's how she looks and they're, they're wild. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she says, look into my eyes. And we're looking at her face from Byron's, or not Byron, sorry, uh, Percy's point of view. And then 
She says, no. <laughs> Look into my eyes. <laughs> and we pan down and her nipples look a little strange because they're eyelids that are shut and then they open and her nipples are eyeballs. <laughs> and they're like looking back up at him. Indelible. Outrageous and amazing. And indelible. The fact that she has to say no my, look into my eyes. That, Not these eyes. These eyes. And we, we did kind of miss a couple things that I would put in, uh, you know, what worked. Sort of that, like, like that's a really good example, that kind of dialogue of the kind of, like, mm-hmm. the, 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 the grandiose storytelling of it. But, but like, as, in terms of just the dialogue itself, you know, it's very, like, a lot of times it's that kind of very showy quality to it or very deliberate you know in a way that's just theatrical and fun (laughs) yeah and something something else i didn't mention that worked for me like i loved it was just it was just dripping with sex everywhere like they're always having sex just in different combinations it's just kind of like because man what else would you be doing (laughs) right i just love it so casual yeah um all right. Any other indelible moments? Oh yeah, the I had one more. The um, <laughs> the knight in shining armor with the metal cone as a phallus coming alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's pretty sweet. Um, God, I really, you know, kind of it sticks out to me when Claire is covered in mud and she's crawling around the cobwebs, like yeah. in this dungeon thing. Like, I really like that. A that just how it's shot, but like the posture of it and it's just the vibe of this kind of she's she's become more of a primal creature right. at that point it, it, it's very cool looking indelible would you say yeah great yeah 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 because that's what this section is all right any other things of note aside from indelible moments so what i just looked up which i i did not realize so dr john they're all real people right they're all based on real people Dr. John, because of this night, in real in reality, they all wrote stuff based on this this particular experience as a contest. They said, "Hey, we're all going to write our our. I mean, exactly what the movie says, right? We're let's all write our sort of ho- horror stories or monster stories or whatever." And Dr. John wrote The Vampire, which is just a short. It's a short work of prose is what Wikipedia says specifically. Oh, right. Um, so I didn't even realize that he as well had written something. And we didn't mention he is played by... Vampire. Tim- uh, we didn't mention he's played by Timothy Spall, who you may recognize as oh. Peter Pettigrew in Harry Potter 3. Definitely. Definitely. He's great. He's so He's so young. Yeah, it's, it's really wild to see him as a young man. He feels like like the uh, like the British Paul Giamatti or something. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that's so true. <laughs> He's great. You know, I think that Vampire is on our list. It is as a film. It's an early, early silent. I, I think it's silent film. Yeah. I think you're right. That's cool. Look forward to that. I mean, I wish I you know had more for everyone as as far as the what this is based on, what's inspired by, but yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, I think you get it, right? Like Lord <laughs> Byron wrote this stuff and I don't actually know what Percy Shelley's sort of 
is he famously known for in terms he's you know romantic well, poet let's not make this the section of things of note that we don't know um <laughs> right but, <laughs> but you know i need to i do need to fucking read like frankenstein for real like sit down and just commit to it because i gave up yeah. I never finished it. It's just so different from the movie. It's just kind of, whoa, what is this? You know, it's it's kind of kind of weird at first. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't figure out who was who for the first like 50 pages. <laughs> right. I was like, who is talking right now? Right. <laughs> Shit. Um, cool. So no if there are no other things of note, should we wrap oh, up? No, no, oh, no, no, I had one other. I had Sorry. one other. The way you were sipping from your coffee mug seemed I'm just so excited I gave myself a little top off, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Great. Um, the place that it's filmed, uh, well, it's based on, I don't know if it's the, if they, they didn't film it in the actual, well, maybe they did. Um, no, oh, no, no. They used this other place called Gaddison uh, Place in Hertfordshire, England. So not in Switzerland. Um, that was used as the 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 stand-in for the actual place, which is called Via Diodate, um, which I want to go to these places. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Me too. Come on. For our YouTube channel someday, right? <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Shit. Just seems so fun. Like, we could go to the one from The Innocents. Yeah. Oh, mansions. come on. Um, anyway. So that's really, that's really, I just think that that stuff's fun. I love, you know, locations for some reason that you're like, I want to go to all the locations. Go to the little island in Nova Scotia or whatever, where they built the lighthouse for the lighthouse. Oh Um, my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Right. Hell yeah. What we can go to close by here, was it the house of haunting, haunted hill or whatever that has the, um, the house up in the, in the behind Griffith park here. That's made oh, by shit. that famous architect. Let's do that. I've been there. It's right by a uh, infamous murder house. Oh, I know. I've heard. Yeah, the murder house. That's cool. <laughs> anyway, really close to me. Anyway, <laughs> okay, great. Uh, yes, cool. Great. If that's awesome. It, if that is it for Gothic, how about? Yeehaw. You know what? Here's a thing of note. Gabriel Byrne existed before The Usual Suspects. And he's always playing he's always playing literal devils or devilish people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. He really is. Jesus. Cool. Anyway, I love him. All That's right. It. That's all I got. <laughs> For my recommendation this week, Tim, I haven't mentioned an actual horror thing for a while. But Tim, since you got didn't ask, I feel like I got to tell you you know how excited I was for Juan Origins. Oh, I I do. <laughs> well, uh, needless to say, I watched it and thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the it, it's weird. I almost have the kind of like the same critiques as I do the other ones, where it's just like you take away the music, it would be so much more creepy. But whatever, I still get into it, you know. And this one, it was really neat how it is like an origin story of the other ones of that sort of the same cases. So it's okay. ne- it's neat, and it doesn't it doesn't go with the same kind of like you know uh, pale white ghost screaming cat noises. It sort of takes sort of. I don't know. You know, it sort of updates it with sort of what feels realer in a way. It's hmm. neat. Okay. A lot of, um, it goes, it's like really, really dark, messed up stuff in it. So it, it, it like 
goes there, which is what, you know, let's say if uh, the whole Juan series is like about, well, whatever horrific thing led to this grudge that would leave this imprint, it has to be really horrible. Uh, it is, oh, <laughs> you know. I like and that. I think you'll actually, you know, I remember kind of your, what was hard for you about the other ones, the Japanese one we, we watched, uh, or the, the, I should say the film that we watched was the uh this you, you sort of it takes a while to almost settle on a protagonist or you kind of it's kind of like um you almost have like you're following a few different stories in a way and they kind of coalesce and it's like can be a little confusing this being having the series formatting and being longer it lends itself to that really well where it like we mm. we still we still do kind of jump around and arrive at you know people more so than the others but it feels like that's yeah it just, it just works better for that the format nice so check it out Jew on Origins new on Netflix Okay, I will. I will. What do you What do you want me to check out, Tim? I I don't know if you've seen this, but I watched Horse Girl. I have not seen it. I've started it, but I haven't seen and it. And I fucking loved it. It's so weird in like just the right way that I enjoy. Cool. Cuz it's it's essentially I think in a really, really reductive, boiled down way, it's kind of just watching somebody lose touch with their, uh, you know, they they are spinning, mental wellness is spinning into oblivion. And, but it's done in, it's done from the point of view of that person. And so it in the, in the kind of in a similar way as as gothic where you're just experiencing the just the fucking wacky you know ness of reality falling apart around you and i i don't know why i like that so much but i really do and you know it helps to have extremely talented people in it like Allison Brie is is the lead and she's fucking amazing in it cool um, and everybody else just supporting wise just does a really great job of making you feel fucking weird and off and what the hell. And it's filmed very stark, yeah. but also very unsettlingly. And I'm like, whoa, what are, like, what are they doing to make you actually like to accomplish that? Cause it feels like they're not doing anything, but they're definitely doing something. What the fuck? So yeah, it's really, really fun. And I, it, it, for me, in a lot of these, the du- Duplass brothers have, they have a style of ending. Um, they they just produced this one, but I think they helped sort of. I don't want to know anything about the whatever. ending. But they, it, it fits in with their style of filmmaking in a way that I find very pleasing. So I, I just like it. It's good. And what is it again? Horse Girl. Great. Both our both our recommendations are Netflix things, so find this is a, true. Find them there. Easy peasy. Great. Uh, all right. Let's figure out next week's episode. See what the hat tells us. Yes. Let's. Is it yours or mine? It's yours. I feel like it's my turn. I, I'm pretty sure it's yours. I feel like I hear you saying gothic. So I did. Now. Ooh. And I'm gonna hold it up here. Something Wicked This Way Comes from 1983. I saw this 
as I believe it was sixth grade, this kind of like <laughs> wow. after school program thing um, on a rainy day. I think it's, is it a Disney movie? You got me. It may be hard to track down, but we'll we'll track it down. You haven't seen it, it sounds like. I don't think so. Cool. It's well, based on a Ray Bradbury novel. Yes, 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 yes. Excellent, excellent. Great. Well, hey. No, I'm, I don't think I've seen this. Awesome. Cool. I'm excited to see Ooh, it. Ooh, horror fantasy. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> kind of like gothic. Yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. Something Wicked This Way Comes. If you haven't seen it or you want an excuse to revisit it, you should watch it. So then you can join us for dismembering it afterwards next week. And in the meantime, you can find us at dismemberinghorror.com or wherever else you just found us. Our big <clears throat> ask is if you enjoyed this, you made it this far, tell a friend. Word of mouth is how we, we slowly, slowly spread, spread our joy and wealth. <laughs> What's so funny, Tim? I just, you know, dumb, bad jokes came to mind. And then I had to resist them by laughing. Great. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Resist, <laughs> resist yourself by laughing. In closing, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>